the Team Performance Podcast with Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. everyone and welcome to another episode of the Team Performance Winning Ways for Uncertain Times podcast. I'm Christian Napier and I'm thrilled to be joined uh, by two very, very special guests. But before we introduce our guest, allow me to introduce my co-host who looks like he's in Johnny Cash Black, but it could be a gray. I can't really tell here. Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? Doing great, Christian. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of matching you today. Twins today. Well, I, I've got green on. Um, oh, but, it looks great. So yeah, I'm wearing gray for sure. All right. Yeah, it kind of looks black here on my screen. That's why I went Johnny Cash. So I don't know if you want to sing a few bars of Folsom Prison Blues or something like that. But I know you've got some musical talents. <laughs> well, you just keep making those flames go higher, man, when you put me on the spot like that. All right. Well, we should walk the line. Um <laughs> I want to get right to the guests. I know we normally have some banter here at the beginning, but I'm so excited to have these guests on today because um, they're they're really really amazing and and they've got some really interesting uh, contributions to our topic, which is team performance. Spencer, yes, I'm excited too. So you you know them well. Why don't you introduce them today? All right. Well, uh, what well, we've got. Um, Chip Suttles on the call today, and I'm really happy to have Chip on because um, uh, Chip and I worked together during the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter Games, and uh, it's been a long time uh, since uh, since uh, Salt Lake 2002. And uh, Chip is now the Chief Information Officer for the Seattle Seahawks. He's the Vice President of Technology. He was recognized as the CIO of the year in Seattle last year in the enterprise business category. And he has a lot of uh, really interesting responsibilities that will allow him to talk about a little bit more. But before uh, he worked uh, for the Seahawks, I think he's worked there for nine years. Is that right, Chip? Yeah, this is my ninth season. And before that, you worked for the Vancouver Canucks. And, um, and then before uh, the Vancouver uh, Canucks, you worked uh, for VANOC, the Vancouver Organizing Committee for the Olympic Games, and you have a lot of experience in the Olympic sphere, uh, Salt Lake being one of those stops. And uh, uh, Chip uh, now lives in Seattle with his, with his wife, Lauren, and, and they have two sons and a daughter. Uh, so Chip, uh, it's so uh, great to have you on. Welcome to our little podcast. Thank you, Christian. I appreciate you having me on. It was, it was great to reconnect earlier in, the, in, a, in a recent conversation we had on the 2002 Games. What a, what a great experience that was. It's brought back all those memories. And ever since we talked, I've been thinking about it and how great a time that was in our life. And so, But happy to be here today. Um, look forward to our discussion. So nice to meet you, Spencer, as well. Great to meet you. Thank you. Well, it's so great to have you here, and uh, we get double prizes, as we would say, in our household, because not only do we have uh, you here on our podcast, Chip, uh, but we also have one of your colleagues, uh, Josh Smith, and uh, Josh um, more recently joined the team, I think, that's right, uh, just finished your third season with the Seahawks, is that right, Josh? That's right, yep, I've been here since 2018. And Josh is really the brains of the operation when it comes to um, sports science and player evaluation. 
Uh, he's worked in the Seahawks organization, works very closely with uh, Amazon, Amazon Web Services, where they've created a data lake, which is a fancy term and an, anal an analytics ecosystem uh, to support sports science, player development, uh, evaluation, acquisition, game planning, um, and all kinds of really, really interesting stuff, deep learning models and uh, just all kinds of really, really intriguing things. And so I'm really, really excited, uh, Josh, to have you join us as well. Welcome to our podcast, Josh. Great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Well, we're super excited to have you both. And um, before we get into all that really super fun, interesting sports science stuff, um, well, our listeners know they're all in this. Uh, we're all sitting in our homes or wherever we are uh, doing this crazy little podcast and we're doing that because of COVID. And so I had some curiosity about how uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has affected uh, football generally and the Seahawks organization specifically. And so I don't know, Chip, maybe you can speak a little bit too about uh, you know when COVID-19 first appeared on the Seahawks radar and the approach that the organization has taken to address it. You bet. I mean, I think nobody saw a pandemic of type event uh, on the horizon. I, I think back of all those tabletop exercises you do for business continuity planning and risk mitigation. And somebody always throws out, well, what if this happens? And you're like, that's never going to happen. Well, you know, that kind of event did happen. And uh, I have to give just a world of credit to the way our organization as a whole, our management team, my technology team, how we just kind of responded versus reacting. You know, we took each individual challenge and just find it, find a, found a way to overcome it. And um, I think we, we just had a recent article in the Times Magazine, uh, a Times newspaper about the success that we had and the way we approached it. I mean, it sounds a little cliche, but one of Coach Carroll's rules for the organization, he has three team rules, always protect the team, no whining, no complaining, no excuses, and be early. But that protecting the team, coach kind of leaned in and said, you know, let's take whatever the NFL guideline gives us and let's just let's apply whatever else additional that we think, whatever protocols that we should that we think would help to protect our coaches and our players to allow us to have a season. And, you know, knock on wood, we were we were fortunate enough to uh, to have a season. And, you know, it was one of the it was the only league uh, in North America that was able to pull that off last year. Um, and, you know, we, we just had a great, uh, you know, uh, I guess, outcome for the way we went about our business and where we were able to overcome those challenges last year. And I just personally want to thank you for that, because it was getting to a point where TV was getting a little bit frustrating and just having, I remember Christian, you and I were talking about when sports were coming back and how excited we were to be able to have that, that opportunity and possibility just to bring a little diversion and, and hope to, to, uh, to individuals like ourselves. Right. No, I, no, I appreciate that Spencer. I mean, we, we miss our fans in the stadium, but we certainly appreciate the fans watching it at home on TV. It, it helped us keep our business alive and, you know, we look forward to getting getting our 12s back in our stadium and giving us that home field advantage, which, uh, you know, we did really well at home, but I feel like, you know, hosting that playoff game, if we had had the fans in the building, it would have been a different outcome in, in my mind. Uh, for those Seahawks fans out there, we, you know, um, I'll just recap, we lost in the first round of the playoffs, but I, you know, I think the 12s would have made a difference. 
but uh, it was certainly a challenge. And, you know, Christian men mentioned I was uh, fortunate enough to, to win a CIO award in, in Seattle in 2020. And I think it was a part on how we did, how we went about our business from a tech point of view and supporting um, these things, you know, right out of the gate, we had to move um, our draft to a virtual draft. And, you know, we, you know, we have this multi-million dollar beautiful facility and a dedicated draft room. And we spend a lot of time focusing on, you know, what, what can make that better for communication and help the coaches and the scouts prepare for the draft. And then two weeks before the draft, they're like, nope, it's going to be, it's going to be a coach's house. It's going to be at the GM's house. You know, you're going to have to do this all remotely. So we really had to scramble and, and make that happen. And I had IT people at everybody's houses wearing the right PP&E protection and, you know, supporting them, whatever their needs and just facilitating communication, big learning curve for a lot of coaches to have to, to get up to speed on all these video platforms. And I mean, we were using every, every type um, that, that was out there and uh, to make it happen. And, you know, we overcame it. And I think that was, you know, just to see, again, it goes back to credit to our organization, the, the way we were kind of resilient and the way we approached things. Well, one of the questions I have for you, Chip, is um, when it all happened, nobody really knew what to expect. You know, it's like, we're all just kind of starting to invent things on the fly. And in certain organizations that, that can apply a lot of pressure um, and people can get stressed out learning to, a new way to work, you know, remotely and everything. So, you know, I'm curious how the Seahawks leadership really helped keep people engaged and motivated and productive uh, when things were so uncertain? Well, I think it started with communication and it started from our, our organizational president, Chuck Arnold. I think he did a fantastic job of, you know, because the changes were coming in, um, not just weekly, but daily almost at some time. So information we were getting from the league and protocols and as we learned more information and what was available. So I think he just set the standard that we need to be adaptive, be flexible, and just to communicate so people that are working from home don't feel like they're not connected. Um, one of the things we were able to do was minimize workforce reductions. I know a lot of organizations were, and businesses around the country have been hit with that. And you know, we looked at all the ways we could cut costs and minimize spending uh, with the idea that we would try to minimize the workforce reduction so that we can keep people so that when things return to normal, we'll, we'll be in a better position. And I think he did a great job at that as well. And I, I think the organization leaned in embracing the technology that we put in place. I, you know, I, I rushed out, got thermal temperature readers so we can ensure people was coming into the building facilities so were the right, right temperature. I was able to work with one of our partners, Clear, um, and develop a mobile app questionnaire that just made it easier to take those health questionnaires on a daily basis. And then everybody kind of was just open to the NFL provided contact tracing devices. So when they come into the facility, they, they're given a device that, that wears and it does proximity detection and keeps a record and log. And um, everybody was just open to that and no resistance. And I think it just made it easier for, for the organization. And I mean, and the last thing was just that, you know, it was a quick learning curve, but everybody came up to speak quick on the video platforms. and. As the, as the means or the vehicle to, to keep communication flowing. And I think we did a great job. Uh, you know, we just weren't a normal uh, kind of business that was used to remote working. So it was a big adjustment for folks um, that usually come to a desktop environment and, and used to used to face-to-face -to -face meetings to go to all virtual, but uh, the organization's done well adjusting. I have a, a, just a follow on with that. 
for, for both of you, really, it's, we, we're not getting the technical stuff yet, uh, Josh, but, you know, it seemed like in the beginning, and this is what I hear from a lot of my clients and other organizations that people all dug in. I mean, they were just so willing to go the extra mile, work hard. A lot of them were worried about, you know, what did the future bring? And so they were willing to, to do whatever it takes. But as this is really drawn on, that engagement has waned a little bit. And one of the things you said is, you know, to, to help you have success, you just keep kept that communication to minimize um, that, that feeling of disconnectedness from working from home. How, how did you make sure that people felt connected? When you talk about communication, what are, what are some ways that you were able to, to maintain that sense of connectedness so that that engagement stayed high with, with everybody? Yeah, so our management team kind of encouraged each, uh, you know, each VP and each director to go that extra mile, do, um, you know, make sure their contact points, make sure they weren't just having their team meetings once a week, but reaching out to individuals independently one-on-one, you know, feeling, making sure that their needs, uh, needs were being met as far as keeping information flow going. Um, some departments were able to uh, go down to the stadium and use the seating in a, in a safe environment where they were able to spread out and have, have meetings in person and, in a, you know, with, with space required, you know, to meet the, the guidelines. Um, you know, some, uh, some departments had virtual happy hours and, and you know, uh, it went, when occasion they would come up with themes for their meetings. And, you know, for example, um, one of the things I like to do is, uh, I like to have a segment of my weekly meeting with the tech department, and we just, we just talk about uh, uh, movies and TV series that that are worth watching, and just sharing ideas and what's good and bad out there, and um, just just something to lighten it a little bit. That's well. That makes me. I have to ask them what are the movies and TV series that everybody's into. <laughs> well, you don't want to ask from our technology department. It's uh, oh no, that's a, that's a that's a trade secret. That might give an advantage to uh, you know competition if we let them know what shows are motivating everybody. Come on, right? It's a quite a centric bunch, so we we're all over the map. So I'm not going to throw out any names. <laughs>
and just just really getting in a deep conversation and then it, it was great and I think that was you know I started to work there at with the Seahawks you know a week or two later so um it was that you know that's how they looked at it and that's where it starts if you don't have the GM and the coach believing in it um in the organization behind you then you can't do but so much so they certainly believe in the value of it um certainly in a high level it's kind of the pursuit of you know um getting the athletes best prepared as we can for game day, you know, assisting the athletes with recovery and providing information to the coach so they can make informed decisions on, on game day planning. You know, that's really, uh, you know, that's, that's my take on what it's all about. The sports science department, Josh makes up a small part of it. Um, myself and my role, I support that department and whatever their needs are, but they have some really good and really talented and smart folks in, in that team. Um, it starts with our director of player performance and, and player safety, um, Sam Ramston, who uh, Josh reports up to. And with their leadership, I mean, they're doing great things. So um, I'll come back to more detail, but uh, I'll take a pause there. Chip, you know, so when it came to that that interview, did did management have a vision of what they wanted to do with technology before you came? Or was that something you know, that, that you suggested and brought and, and created that job? Or was that something that you had applied for? That's a great question, Spencer. No, they certainly had a vision uh, that they wanted to do more. I mean, analytics in, in NFL are not, it's, it's not a new concept. I mean, anybody that, that watched the Dallas Cowboys and the, and the old era, you, you know, they were using data analytics in advanced ways way before a lot of other teams. I felt like we were on the front edge. I would say it's hard to tell. We do a lot of information sharing among NFL teams because it's not too competitive in the business side. But when it comes to the sports science side, it's certainly we're looking for that competitive advantage. So it's hard to tell where we rank among other teams, but I, I'd still put us in the, in the top percent, uh, or top you know, few teams that are doing it well. They had a vision of, that they, they wanted to, to learn more and find that competitive advantage, the competitive advantage. The, the, the games are so tight and so little difference that anything will help you know, if, if they can find that. And, you know, their ideas is maybe we could prevent soft tissue injuries. Maybe we could uh, get a player recovered a little better and, and, and know from a scientific point of view. I mean, a, a prime example, I coach Little League football and, you know, and I, and, I, and I think about it from their point of view. And I'm like, well, that, that player got hurt last week. He, he hurt his knee, but he's, you know, he's practicing this week. He looks good. He looks like he's running full speed. But is he really back up to full strength, you know? And that's the kind of stuff that analytics can tell us. And, you know, that's, I think that's what they saw is, uh, and, and they saw a lot more opportunity with it as well. And then, you know, bringing people in like Josh, now we're, now we're using AI and machine learning um, to do even greater things. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, Josh. Um, you joined more recently, about three years ago or whatever. So in, in your perspective coming into this thing, um, Chip just mentioned AI and machine learning and all these kind of fun things. Uh, how has the sports analytics uh, element evolved uh, specifically within the Seahawks and, and then within the NFL uh, in sport more generally? Yeah, so in football, traditionally, uh, most of the stats that have been used to like for things you watch on the on the field have been much more um, surface stats like uh uh, how many, how often you do things on certain downs, just general tendencies. Uh, the more advanced analytics historically has been on the sports science side. So it's around keeping players healthy, uh, return to injury, 
optimizing training to get the maximum amount of uh, performance out of your players. Uh, the Seahawks, when I came in, uh, were very advanced in that area. Um, they, we have uh, uh, someone by the name of Patrick Ward. Uh, he's a PhD who's done some amazing research in, in um, player tracking technologies, so, uh, which is a data system that we have to track everything that happens in practice. So the players wear these little pucks they wear in their jerseys during practice, and it tracks uh, everywhere they go on the field, to how fast they're running. And it also has an accelerometer in there to tell how quickly they accelerate and deaccelerate. And from that, you can calculate uh, some load metrics to understand um, how hard they're practicing and how efficient they are uh, moving. Um, in 2018, uh, the reason, primary reason I was hired or the catalyst was that they released the, um, the next gen data set, which is that same type of tracking data, but for on-field uh, during games. Uh, and that, that used, to, that's, uh, used to be you would just get your team's side of the ball uh, for, for games, but then in 2018, they released it so you would get every game uh, for every player uh, during, during the game. So you get uh, every second for every player, you get 10 data points uh, X, Y coordinates of where they were, including the ball. So it's a huge volume of data uh, and they needed someone who could come in and, and help them work with that type of data and, and develop analytics to help with the advanced process, um, which is preparing for an upcoming team uh, to work on uh, extending uh, player performance uh, using game data and just general integrating it into our scouting and player evaluation systems and better understanding um, what happened in a game and um, certain tendencies and things we can take advantage of uh, to, as we prepare a game plan. And Josh, that, that's so cool. I, I, I have so many questions, but you know, first of all, it seems like what a great opportunity for management, you know, general managers and, and coaches to be able to sit down and say, you know, hey, Spencer, you, you didn't give it your all. Like it takes away all the subjectivity, right? And so, well, I'm, I am, I'm working hard. And it's like, no, you, you know, you're, you're not, but how do you create that baseline so that you can say, okay, you, you're, we know that you've got more if that's how it's used. Yeah. We don't really do it that way. As far as number of explosive movements, you do track that over time to understand if, are they working as hard as they were earlier in the year? But we do have a whole physical process uh, where we collect a lot of ob objective data, including jump tests, uh, um, how symmetrical a person is as far as strength at the beginning of the season, um, and then just some general um, um, uh, performance metrics on the players the first day when they come in uh, as we prepare for a season. And then we have something to refer to if they get injured or um, you know, basically understand like, well, this is them at day one, 100%. And it's something we can benchmark the rest of their season to. So it's mostly about safety, recovery, technique, and and less about hey Christian, you did, you sucked out there today. You need to really pick it up. <laughs> yeah, much more of that. Much more making sure they're they're getting the right number of reps. It's never an issue of players being lazy. It's usually an issue of optimizing. We're yeah, we're overworking this player, or they're doing too much. We need to talk to a coach about uh, optimizing the number of reps or the time between their reps and making sure all that's optimized so that we have the, the most performant team possible on game day.
I find this so fascinating um, that organizations will invest tremendous resources uh, because teams are so competitive that uh, um, and, and player you know player performance is paramount, and so to try to keep them in optimal condition uh, at all times is is uh, your primary concern. I wondered if could could lessons from this be applied to organizations generally? You know, this might be a chip, uh, a chip question as well. You know, uh, you, you invest so much resource to make sure that your that your um, your key performers perform optimally. Uh, I've never been a part of any kind of company that would would invest so much money in their accounting staff or, or, or mental or, emotional well being and all of that. Exactly. Well, yeah, I mean. Yes, that's, it's a great question. Um, I mean, business um, analytics is certainly a, a fast growing industry and it is within our organization as well, probably one of our fastest growing departments. Uh, and, we, and we've been putting more emphasis on that as well. Um, but you're right, we still don't spend the kind of the money that goes into a, a sports science analytics department. Um, but the returns are there. I mean, if you, if you think some real, of some real life examples, you know, if we're, if we're, you know, Josh touched on a couple of things. We know what the optimal training week looks like. We kind of get an indication when the coaches are working a particular player too hard or their workloads too, too much. And if we see something or some players maybe still on the recovery track and there's, there's a risk there, if we overwork them, that they could re-injure themselves or, you know, have a soft tissue issue, uh, uh, injury that could impact them from playing on Sunday. Um, so if you, it's, it's hard to measure the value because if you were able to keep one of our star players, let's say take a, a wide receiver, um, you know, and say, look, you know, he's only 75%. He's probably ready for Sunday. He's only 75% recover. But if we, you know, if we back off a little bit, we can protect him from getting hurt and make him available to play on Sunday. So that means a lot to, you know, our win loss opportunity on, um, you know, percentage on Sunday and, and the game's outcome having that player available to play and so you know how do you put a dollar amount on that how do you put a dollar amount on each individual victory for the team that we put up we invest a lot in into winning games with with everything we do and um, this is just another piece of it all right well i've got another question sure uh, you mentioned chip that um with advanced stat, or maybe josh mentioned this with advanced stats um, you're measuring positions on the field, 10 key data points, you know, in real time, you're measuring all this kind of stuff. And then you're doing all of these other things that you're using to measure player health and safety and uh, so on and so forth. Yeah. It just seems like a lot. Yeah. I mean, do you ever get to a situation where it just feels overwhelming? Like we're measuring so much, like how do you make sense of out of all of the data that's coming in, you know, in the past, we didn't measure those things because we didn't have the technology to do it. But now the technology exists, you can measure probably anything that you want. So how do you keep from becoming overwhelmed with all of this information? No, it's a, it's a great question. I'll start, I'll start a reply and then I'll turn it over to Josh to help me here. But let, let me clarify things. So we collect, um, we probably take 10 to 15 different data points on a player, you know, helping them baseline where they, where they are when they start. Uh, what they're doing during practice, um, the the actual tracking is, is as Josh was mentioning, the puck uh, that they wear in, in practice, so we can capture their movements and accelerations and things. And then we're not allowed to do any of that tracking on on the field on game days. So we have to we have to rely on the NFL to provide that information. And 
I, I, I totally forgot that we brought Josh on to do next-gen data analytics because he's done so much more for the organization since we brought him on board. But um, it's true. That's what the coaches identified as a gap or some a way that we could probably get a competitive advantage if we were able to make sense of that, all that information coming in. Um, and that's, that's why, you know, it enabled us to, to get the funding to bring Josh on. So that's a different set of data that's coming in, but it's all feeding our data ecosystem, you know, and we've recently partnered with AWS Cloud Services. Um, we built a data lake. Um, we're utilizing their tools and their training to, to help us do the visualizations and the reports that can make sense of this information. I mean, one of the, one of the proof of concepts that we've done is, is run video uh, of college, run video of practice through, um, through their machine learning and you know, be able to ask questions and, and produce reports that otherwise would have taken a manually entry or somebody manually doing it or another body and uh, certainly a lot more time to do some analytics there. So before I say anything wrong, maybe Josh, you can jump in on how that's gonna help us in the future. Yeah, so uh, to, two parts to this question. One, it's a lot of data, just volumes of data. We're talking terabytes of information, uh, ones and zeros in video and and um, in metrics that we're collecting. So we use AWS, uh, it's a cloud provider to manage that data and build predictive models on top of that data. So that's the technology piece. AWS has uh, been our partner for about a about a year and a half now, Chip, something around there. Yeah. Um, and we use a lot of their technologies to uh, manage our data flows, uh, build analytics. Uh, we use uh, their database technology. We use it to host uh, reporting systems, uh, build alerting systems. Their, their whole platform, it, it's basically a, a serverless uh, environment where you can really do pretty much whatever you need to do. They have... Uh, um, a lot of flexibility to scale up and scale down based on the needs of individual projects and just use that uh, that technology and, and those resources when you need it and then you can turn it off and you don't have to pay for it when you don't need it. Uh, the other piece is what do I need to look at? There's so much here to look at. Um, we, we're a, a really process-driven um, organization. Um, on the analytics side, the process we use uh, to tackle these types of things is what's called CRISPDM. It's a, it's a methodology that you use to do predictive modeling. So uh, the, it's generally a process for how you answer any analytics question. Uh, and it starts with talking to your, your business user or my coaches or scouts. It's not like your, uh, your accountant in, in regular business uh, uh, acumen, but it'd be like a coach or a scout asks a question. And we define that question in a way that I can answer it with data. I look at what data I have that might uh, have an influence on that question. I decide with the coach or scout how good a model would need to be uh, to be uh, predictive of the question that they have. Uh, and then I work to develop a model that can meet that threshold. And then I push that model out into production uh, and we leverage that, uh, that prediction or that metric that we created uh, to, uh, to track things going forward, to observe the progress or understand the performance uh, of whatever entity we're talking about. And what we try to do is we try to use this process and use our R&D and analytics uh, uh, department to only show coaches and scouts things that we know to be predictive. Uh, so it kind of takes out the noise and things like, you know, like you might hear something that somebody believes that a, a player's favorite flavor of ice cream might tell you if he could be a 2000 yard rusher 
in the NFL. We we probably understand that. It's a that's spurious not, connection. Right. Yeah. Uh, we probably understand that to not be true, and, and we'll build analyses and try to understand that data and before we start using that to make draft or player acquisition decisions. So I think one of the things that you said in, you know, that this, this work is doing is aligning technology with the overall business strategy. And so that's, I, I heard that's what you were doing. So you're, you're, you're making business decisions based on this data that you're gathering by, by figuring out the right types of questions to ask the data. So you're at, and you, and you have to ask that question in a, I think in an intelligent way for you to get the data that actually has a business impact is what I heard you say. That's correct. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, you know, a lot of people have hunches uh, and then what we try to do is put an objective lens on that hunch and determine if you can really use that data or that understanding to make uh, decisions that will help advance the organization. So, so what then are the, what are challenges with this process of any challenges of perhaps relying on data too much? Hmm. I mean, there's always lack of data, right? So there's certain things, certain nuances that a model won't understand or see. Uh, There's certain things when a scout is watching a guy in video, he just understands something he sees that I'm not getting in my box score data or my player tracking data, something with a technique a player might have that my tracking system can't pick up that a scout can see with his eyes. So the most important thing for our GM and our scouts to do is take the objective data that we're trying to provide that objective lens, take the subjective lens that a human can see with his eyes and his understanding of watching the game for 20, 30 years and make the best decision where those things align. So how often do you see those, those things uh, maybe where that, that, that coach's eye contradicts what the data says? You know, it's, uh, of a scout's just watching a player, it'd be pretty rare that a model could ever beat them uh, for a single player. Like I'd say, they got it so far different than the model. It, it's never that far, um, but it does happen. Uh, usually, like I said, it's more around like some kind of uh, technique or something that a player, uh, uh, the player's doing that a scout can recognize. Um, what you tend to see more of is uh, where analytics help is I can run it on every player ever. Like n- our best scout can only watch so many players on video and do that analysis. So what we try to do is we run it. They always obviously have a fairly large scouting organization that watches a lot of video and assesses a lot of players. Uh, we do that same analysis uh, with data and and um, in our metrics. We look at where the players are different and try to focus on those and try to get a a better understanding of why the subjective lens might not be correct or why the objective lens might not be correct and and try to uh, uh, get that. So that's the real process, particularly around player acquisition in the draft. That's the whole process is making sure we have the best understanding of a player's ability and we put them on the board in the right place and we understand how they can help our team and, uh, and making sure we have all the information that uh, the, the, the coaches and scouts need to make that decision. I bet those are some interesting conversations. They're never not interesting. I'll tell you <laughs> that. But 
you know, I just reiterate that all we can do is provide the data. The sports science team's job is not to make the decisions, but to provide the best data possible. So that the coaches and, you know, they're, they're paid our salaries and uh, got all that experience can apply that additional information to their decision-making. That's what it's all about. Have, have all the coaches and the managers and the professionals, have they, are, are we now to a point where they've all drunk the analytics Kool-Aid? You know, for a, for a time, you know, there was a bit of back and forth with kind of the old school people saying, well, you know, uh, I, analytics are overrated. I know what my eyes see and that's that. Free um, money now ball. it's been around for, yeah, now it's been around for a while. So, so um, are we now to the point where everybody's pretty much bought in? Well, I wish we could say it's 100% buy-in. I mean, we're trying to get the perception of the sports science department to, from a player point of view is I want to do this because it helps me as a player. We want them to think of it that way. I think most of the younger players have been uh, on a path where they've been tested and, and data has been a part of their life at an earlier age. Some of our older players this is still new to them. Um, the majority of players buy into it voluntarily. They see the benefits in it. Um, it's not, it's not as simple as, okay, uh, I'm not running the 40 as fast as I did during the combine, you know, six years ago. And we know that, that that's going to happen that people are going to lose speed over time, but what, what they lose, they make up in experience and, you know, their technique and, you know, what they can do to overcome it. And that's got a lot of value to itself. So we don't, we don't cut people just based on numbers and things like that. So I think they're buying into it more all the time. We, we try to be as transparent with them as possible with the data. It's not, it's not hidden, you know, it's um, you know, I think the more we can be open and communicate what we're trying to accomplish, um, with the team and with the measurements we take, uh, the better they understand it, the more likely they are to want to participate. I think. You know, the, the, one of the things you said in the beginning was that you have this app. Part of that is the tracking health and temperature and everything like that. I, I it seems like one issue for older folks would be privacy. It, you know, just releasing so much data on on our health and how we're doing and and you know making that that transition could be problematic well it's certainly a concern uh with the collective bargaining uh, agreement with the players union and the, and the teams um, it certainly comes up and it's certainly we understand that it is their personal data that you know and we treat it as such um and we're really uh protect it we protect it and you know we um, you know, I think we, we take all those measures and put those in place because it's, this information is just for us, just for our trainers, our medical staff, and, you know, our coaches um, to evaluate. And it's with the player's consent that we do this. So, um, yeah, I, I think we give that the respect that it needs. And it is, it is personal data. You know, I, had a, I have another question about just this whole transition to AI. You talked about how much work it would take to have your, your scouts analyze all this data. And so this technology is allowing you to, to really analyze so much more information. You know, AI is making such a big impact on major organizations around the world. And, and some of the concerns that, that go along with that, with all the benefits is that, hey, maybe my job's in jeopardy. And I'd love to hear your perspective. Is this something that's actually adding to what we're doing so it's otherwise we wouldn't be able to do it with this or are we losing people and replacing that with robots so to speak no i in the in our sense and in our application i think this is just a, a tool that uh, you know that you still need a body to to ask the right questions to right. to set it up to uh, you know it's a 
It's an enhancement. Talking, it is an enhancement and it's an iterative process, I guess. So as Josh was talking about, we don't just, uh, and the sports science team just doesn't come up with the, with the questions and the reports. They, they're taking feedback constantly and always adjusting, you know, what the coaches want to see. And, you know, let's use some real life examples. Let's, let's say, um, let's say our quarterback, Russell Wilson, uh, loves to throw this play out of this formation. But we looked at, at all the practice during the week. And if he runs it out of a different formation, he's got 75% more likelihood of completing the pass or, or having a successful play. Um, so he might feel better running out of one, but the data shows something different. You know, and maybe, you know, it's something we didn't look at on individual day, but if you run it through a tool and, you know, spit out a report at the end of the week, maybe that shows so just something different uh, information that we could use. All right. So I've got a question for you, Josh, um, continuing on this AI theme that we're on and machine learning and everything like that. Um, you know, one of the challenges that's been expressed by people uh, when talking about AI generally, and again, you know, you see this on the news with facial recognition and things like this, is the idea of bias. And I, and, and I don't mean bias in a, in a, in a racial way here for, for sports, um, but what do you do to ensure that um, you're not introducing bias in the models so that they are truly objective and they are not built on erroneous assumptions. Yeah, the, as the, there are some statistical tests you can run on a population to see if you are implying a bias. Uh, we also do a lot of peer review. So there's a, obviously I'm not the only data scientist on our team. So we'll discuss our models, how we selected our, our populations that we're training our models on and what assumptions we're making as we generate our features, which are the inputs we send into our models. Uh, and with those statistical tests and with this peer review, we try to flush out any type of statistical bias our models may be introducing. We also do a lot of ongoing monitoring. So generally what we'll do is uh, we can set up simulations for past seasons using our models and we can track that data just as a final validation if there was bias in our training of our model that didn't apply when we executed it live. Uh, we also have ongoing monitoring once the models are deployed into production, where we're frequently checking the uh, distribution of the data that we're sending through the model. And does it look similar to the, um, to the data we trained with? And is there any drift in our predictions as far as the number of errors or the, uh, the, uh, the variance of our, of our predicted values and the actuals uh, versus what we'd expect from our training set? So we're always watching for the bias. We're always watching for uh, errors and making sure that our process is as solid as, as possible. All right. Well, I only have one question left. Well, I've got tons of questions, but one for today. Spencer, you probably have some questions too. Uh, so my final question is, well, where do we go from here? Because it seems like you can do just about anything that you want, but where do you see it heading? What's the future of analytics in your view? Well, I, in, I'll just give you my opinion. I think it's here to stay, certainly. Um, I think, you know, you see us use still photography on the sidelines in NFL games now for the coaches to use. But I think, you know, real-time video analytics uh, for coaches 
and having a, uh, a video analytics coach is something that's possibly going to happen in the future. You know, if the, comp the competition committee approves that one day for the NFL, I see that being a part of the game as just a, another position coach <laughs> would be, you know, um, I certainly see all the teams developing their analytics staff and their sports science departments looking for that competitive advantage in the way they, they want to approach their game planning and strategy and, and, and player preparation. So I think it's here to stay. Yep. I see data growing in, in every area of football. I mean, like I said, when I came in, we were really focused on player health. Uh, I see we've had a huge growth in, in, in the advance, huge growth in player acquisition in the draft. I see our scouts and coaches using data to make decisions more and more and being very hungry for data and video uh, as part of their processes. So I really see it growing. Um, I think uh, analytics teams on football, uh, on football teams uh, is, is you can expect it to double and triple in the next few years, I'm sure. So that's going to neutralize some advantages that you have, right? If you're in the top. So how do you keep that, that edge as you are trying, you know, wanting to keep, maintain that, that competitive advantage? What's next? Yeah, you really have to stay hungry. I think player development is, is the next big, big piece. Uh, I think, uh, like we're really, there's still a lot of low hanging fruit on player acquisition and the advanced process of how to prepare for opponent and which players you should acquire. Um, we've done a ton in player health, but I think uh, the area where we can uh, gain even more is how to take the players that we have and develop them uh, and, and unique skill sets uh, that we can take advantage of those players to maximize uh, their value on our team and get the best results. I really think that's an area that uh, we can really, uh, that's the, 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 the next big horizon in analytics. Yeah. Cool. I got a, I got another spin on this Christian. I'll go out in the way in the future. I don't know if it's five years, 10, 20, 30 years, but I, you know, in, in my experience, we had a conversation one day that at some point, what if you could take the best person that ever played a certain position, put them in a hologram, put that on the field and have your player practice against that person, right? So they're not going to get hurt. It's going to limit injuries, but they're going to see the technique and the style and the speed and in which they operate. So simulation. A yeah, a simulation, better sort of. Uh, exactly. And, you know, I think that day's coming when you'll be able to do that kind of thing where you can take the best five cornerbacks that ever played the game and, and put them into a, a model that you could train your, your current players to, you know, to work towards. So. That's, that's why just, I don't let Chip. That's why I don't let Chip watch me play ping pong. I'm afraid he's going to analyze me and try to beat me with it. My unique skills in in, in perfect form. Uh, I just think that that day is coming. I think that's where we'll evolve to uh, eventually. That's just my opinion. On that's it. so cool. Hey, so I have a question. It, that looks like a hockey stick behind you there, Chip. Is that right? Yeah, that's from my Vancouver Canucks days. It was a parting gift when I left the organization. It was a, a fantastic ownership group. I had a very fortunate to be able to work for um, for the Aquilinis for a couple of years. We we made a Stanley Cup run all the way to Game Seven, lost a heartbreaker in Game Seven, and uh, yeah, it was yeah. That's, so that's that's one of my my keepsakes. So so what's your what's your NHL team and who do you cheer for? Oh, I'll be a Vancouver Canuck for life. Um, I certainly I just fell in love with the organization. They were fortunate enough to offer me a job uh, when my Olympic contract was over, and uh, just I just 
great admiration for the whole way they approach their business. And uh, I just love the hockey in Canada. It's something about it. They just embrace it. And uh, it, it was fun. It was a great experience for me. I grew up as a kid in Canada playing hockey, uh, you know, little league. But, you know, back in those days, it was Bobby Orr and Gordy Howe and Guy Lafleur of the, you know, Canadians. And and uh, those were some of my heroes. But today I'm a I'm a Vegas fan. I, you know, I lived in Las Vegas for 13 years. And when they they just hit it big in 2017, they just really captured the heart of the community. Yeah, they've done a great job and certainly uh, give credit to their game presentation. And they set the bar really high. Yeah. So not only NHL teams are trying to replicate, but, you know, I think it raised the game for NFL's game presentation, you know, in their stadiums. Um, because <laughs> the Vegas you know, way, right? They're... They do it. They do it big and they do it great. And then they were fortunate enough to have that early success. Um, and, you know, I, I have to th- put in a plug for the, for the local team that will be starting up here in the fall, the Seattle Kraken. You know, we're excited about getting hockey in Seattle market. Uh, a lot a of fun my sport, man. Yeah, a lot of my former colleagues and um, it, along the way have, have joined that organization. And, you know, I think it, the region's really looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to it as well. Well, my wife is a, a huge, huge fan. I love it, but she's just gone bonkers for for it and and they can't get enough of it. But that's so great. So that means you might be taking, you know, the expansion might be taking some of our players out. That's no good. <laughs> it's possible, yeah. <laughs> All right, well. Josh and Chip, uh, thank you so much for joining us and answering all of our crazy questions. Uh, it's really been an honor to have you on and super enlightening. Now, if people uh, following listening this podcast, if they want to learn more about the work that you're doing there with the Seahawks, um, what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you? Is that on LinkedIn, social media, other channels? You know, What's the best way for them to learn more about the great work that you're doing there with the Seahawks organization? Yeah, I would say uh, for me personally, I, you can you can find me on LinkedIn and uh, in all the social channels. I, I have a I have a space out there. I'm easy to find. them under Chip Suttles, and you know certainly uh, just give me patience, uh, and I'll get back to you when I have time. But uh, love to hear from you. Yep, same for me, uh, Joshua Smith on LinkedIn, and I'm on Twitter as well at uh, Smitty Life, uh, but. Not too much activity there, but if you hit me up there, I'll be sure to reply. All right. Fantastic. Uh, Thank you, Chip and Josh and Spencer. If people want to get in touch with you to learn more about how you might help them uh, in their organizations achieve their best performance, what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you? Go to our website, Spencer at, uh, well, shoot, altiumleadership.com, A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com, or email me at Spencer at altiumleadership.com. And people can find me at uh, gp4.com, gpfour.com, or you can email me at cnapier at gp4.com or look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, Thank you so much, Chip and Josh. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll catch you again soon. Again, everyone, thank you so much. Mm -hmm.